0: Hello, welcome to Deserve Speaks. On today's episode of Deserve Speaks, we'll be featuring a talk presented by Chauncey McLaughlin, a life coach from Huntsville, Alabama. This talk is so good. It's probably because Chauncey is so proficient at so many things, he's a gifted musician and a gifted writer, a a previous pastor, a worship leader, an amazing speaker, an actor and a performer, a previous lawyer. (laughs) Like he has lived, he has so much experience in so many areas. And I believe it's that experience, it's that vast array of experience that culminates and comes together in this pot to make and to create the perfect stew that is his presentations and his workshops now as a life coach. You all are going to enjoy this. I know that we did. It's entitled The Hero's Journey. Enjoy part one this week. Next week, you'll get part two. Let's dive in.
1: There is no better teacher than adversity. Every defeat, every heartbreak, every loss contains its own seed. Its own lesson on how to improve your performance next time. Malcolm X. Hello, my name is Chauncey McLaughrey. I am a life coach with an organization known as The Mindful Family. We're based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And I couldn't be more excited to be with you today. Take a deep breath, hold it for a second, and exhale. ready? Let's go. Let's take a moment and close the outer eye so that the inner eye can open. And we see in the middle of our mind a little ball of golden light. And we watch this light as it begins to grow larger and larger until now it covers the entire inner vision of our mind. And we see for ourselves within this light a beautiful temple. And we see a garden that surrounds the temple and a body of water that flows through the garden. And we see that the inside of the temple is lit as well by this same beautiful golden light. And here we are, for we have been drawn together by the power and in the presence of all that is holy and all that is true. And it is through that power which resides in us that we dedicate our time together today of one another. And we ask to be lifted above and beyond the limitations and fears that are the thought forms of this world, to the love and to the peace that lay beyond. And so it is, we say, amen. I'd like to begin this evening by celebrating healing. We're in a season of human history that my spiritual friends refer to as the shaking before the sifting. In previous seasons, many of us who do the work of raising our consciousness and calling our communities to a place of healing, we could delegate our responsibilities to trusted institutions. For better or for worse, historically, we've been able to rely on something or someone else to do the work for us. I'm celebrating the fact that even though most of these institutions that we've chosen to delegate our healing work to have closed, the work of healing continues. The age of institutional distraction has been exposed, and while they've been unsuccessful in fulfilling these unreasonable expectations, many healers have found their voice to reclaim their space, roll up their sleeves, and start love one heart at a time. I've recently accepted that my purpose in life was to be a healer. Not only am I personally supposed to be the first subject of my work, but I am supposed to give healing away to anybody who's interested in experiencing this amazing phenomenon. I grew up in a church where healing was something everybody talked about. They said they wanted to experience it, but there was very little evidence that healing was ever actually taking place. I assumed it was like a Bible story, something that was a perfect ideal, but no longer within our realm of experience, a possibility, a hope, A potential. Maybe if we weren't so disconnected from the source, it could be a part of our daily experience. Brene Brown says that if we want greater clarity in our purpose or a deeper and more meaningful spiritual lives, then vulnerability is the path. So, in order for me to be vulnerable with you and you with me, I need to tell you how I got here. My father. Most people who know me also know that my father was an amazing man, Dave McLathery. Some know he was a rocket scientist. Some know he was a Baptist pastor of the same church for almost half a century. Some may know he was a patriot, but most people don't know that my dad was also a sharecropper. Oh yeah, it's a big part of how I became who I am. By the time he and my mom had kids, He was already working for NASA. Everything he was instructing and demanding for his kids to do was given to us explicitly as a guideline and warning so that we would never have to fear going where he had already been, in the cotton field. But wherever he was, my dad was going to be the best. That's critical for understanding my context and upbringing. My dad never accepted anything other than the best from anybody, including me. That's why for my entire life, the only thing I ever needed was his approval. If he gave me his nod of approval, then I knew I was living up to my potential and I was good. It's so funny because as a kid, he followed me around and watched me do all kinds of things. And he taught me in very clear terms that public approval comes much easier than his approval. And he would always remind me of that, especially if he thought my head was getting too big or if I was getting a little bit too full of myself. Think you did something well. Have the audacity to think you really nailed something. You can do that if you want to. But actually, it wasn't until my dad gave me my actual rating on something that I really found out exactly how well I did. I'll never forget, the first time he gave me that nod of approval. Now you should know, I've been on stage singing, speaking, performing since I was a kid. I did my first solo away from church at school in the third or fourth grade at Madison Academy in what was then called the spring coronation. It was a time for each school class to showcase the best of what they'd learned in creative arts and performing. I sang the impossible dream, Man of La Mancha. I don't remember anyone else in the coronation having a solo. It was a moment, the lights were down The class was downstage. I was upstage center with a spotlight shining down in the narrow space around me. It was ridiculous, but that was the nature of my childhood. When I finished singing, all I heard was silence and then a roar of sound, praise. At the time, it was the loudest noise I'd ever heard in person. Yeah, so the event is over and we're back in the car and I ask him, Dad, what did you think? My dad said, yeah, it was okay. You did it better than you did it at home. (laughs) Listen, people were throwing flowers, crying. My dad was unbothered and unmoved. For the most part, my father maintained that attitude about me throughout my whole life. Then in 2016, when he passed away, even after all that time, I still needed him. Still needed his approval. I wasn't really upset about him not fighting harder to stay alive, but I was devastated that I no longer had the choice to rely on him. For three years, I woke up every day feeling like Isaac. I was on the altar and Abraham was nowhere to be found. If I'm not Isaac, who am I? I never really thought past that relationship. I never considered what might happen when our relationship on earth ended and I had to come down from the mountain alone. My identity, who was I without my father? His passing forced me to think about my identity. The beauty and terror of that summer is I got sick as soon as I realized that he was gone and not coming back. My schedule for the months between his passing and my being admitted into the hospital was relentless. I made sure that I wouldn't have a moment to think, much less breathe. For a period of three or four months, I distracted myself. It was summertime, I was doing stuff at church, various projects all over the city. I spent my days ripping and running. Finally, the week that my busy schedule ended, I was desperately ill. I was so sick during that final week that I thought I was going to pass out right there in front of the audience. Right after that, they rushed me to the emergency room. I was dying of a broken heart. I had to come to terms with the fact that I had lived my whole life through the eyes of my father. There in the ICU ward, I realized how bad I was. I knew exactly what my dad would be doing on my behalf had he been there. None of the doctors could figure out. And there I was lying in the hospital bed waiting for some word on what was happening. I could feel my father's hand resting on my chest as he'd done so many times before, my bottom. So there I was on my deathbed and as trained as, as gifted as I was, I wasn't trained for this. I grew up in the church. I knew I was fearfully and wonderfully made. I knew I was adopted into family of God. I knew that what was done through God's son was accredited to my account and I was deemed righteous. But sick? dying? I wasn't called to this. Damn. What did this mean? Was I not in the family of God? Had I left some sin uh, unconfessed? Had I been disobedient in some task that I'd been asked to perform, like Moses, and was denied entrance into the promised land? Or had I been lied to this entire time? Had I been deceived by my family just so that my behavior could be controlled? Had I been taught this fake theology of sin, death, and hell only so that I would be scared into conforming to society's standards of goodness and morality? Had my entire belief system been a sham, what in the hell was happening? I was groomed by my father to make sure nothing like this ever happened to me. It could happen to others, but not me. That's why I did all I did, for approval. I didn't know my worth outside of my performance. So I perfected my performance to prove my worth. But what happened? Here I was on the edge of my last breath and I'm feeling emotions that I'm not supposed to feel. I felt dread, despair. I felt naked. I felt ashamed. I felt guilty. I felt judged. I've been taught how to do everything under the sun except deal with this kind of disappointment. Who was God? He's not interested in hearing from me. What did he want from me? Was he even a real thing, or did I just make him up to justify my unwillingness to be vulnerable, to be real, to be honest, to be human? Have you ever felt that? You know what I'm talking about? Betrayal. Only someone you love can hurt you this deep. I describe it as disappointment, but it's much deeper than that. You know what I mean? If you're watching me and you can relate, I'd love to know. This is being recorded. And just like you're watching it, I'm watching it too. And I wanna hear from you. Write me a comment, send me a message. Let's deal with this. Because it's not just you, it's me too. I thought I was alone at the time because the people around me who call themselves believers, they never told me about this, right, you know? Getting sick was really the first time that the ideal, the standard, the perfection was completely outside my reach. Every other time, when I disappoint myself and I couldn't quite reach perfection, I could see it. I know that it's there, I know that it's available, I just couldn't get to it. I knew there was a process, there was a formula that would result in perfection and if I could just do the steps, I could reach it. I just hadn't done the things I needed to do yet. But it was right there. But when I was sick, there were no steps. I was on an island surrounded by an ocean. Who was I then? I didn't know. I was confused. I was lost like a ship without a sail. That's what my grandmother would say. I was unanchored and I was floating, being pushed and pulled by every wind, current, emotion, or ideal. And what's worse, I had no idea about what was going to happen next. So that's when I hit bottom. I fell into and out of consciousness. I fell for so long that eventually I just stopped falling. Someone asked me about this a couple years ago. They said, when you hit bottom, what was it like? Was it peaceful? No, but it was quiet. Is it quiet there where you are watching this? you feel isolated? Are you afraid of the quiet? Have you done what I did and kept up a pace that makes sure that it was never quiet? Take it from me. You won't be able to keep up that pace for very long. Eventually, you will have to deal with it. You'll have to confront it. But for me, when I was in the hospital in 2016 and it got quiet, And there was nobody there telling me how I should live. I found something. A voice, an energy, an inner consciousness that I didn't even know was there. Confidence. Even though I had hit my rock bottom, at the molecular level, at the quantum level, I wasn't finished. The life I was created to live hadn't reached its end. Wait a minute. Where did that thought come from? No clue. But I knew something that I couldn't explain. It's so funny, I don't remember what happened next. But I found out later what happened for my aunt. She was there. She was a truth-teller in the family. She was there when the doctor had my family gathered around my bed. And the doctor said he had something he wanted to tell me. It's very formal and very serious. I was like, whoa, he told me to get my affairs in order. I'd had a seizure the night before and he said that I would keep having them back to back until I went into a coma, and wouldn't wake up. My aunt says, I put my right hand behind my head and leaned back, gathered my inflection and said, oh no shaking my head slowly like I'd heard primitive Baptist deacons and devotions do for a thousand years, I went into this old place, the secure, sacred place, where I'm sure my ancestors have been a million times before. That place that remains safe even while slave ships are rising and falling on storms and oceans. That place that comforts and assures you when all the evidence comes out against you. Somehow when I fall, I fell so deep into that place and hit the bottom, that's where I found my confidence. Deep inside me, I just knew. I knew that all of my life up up until that point was just a prelude. Everything that had happened up until that point was just the beginning. I actually said those words. It wasn't in my body. It wasn't in my mind. But for the first time, I began to develop a true sense of what it means to be here on this planet, in this galaxy, in this universe. I realized what mattered and what didn't. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yes. I knew what mattered, not the awards, not the positions, not the experience. It was hitting bottom. And now I'm I'm a totally different man. I have been remade. I have taken up my proper role in my family and in my community, and I have accepted that all of this, all of whatever happens to me, is a series of lessons for the manual. Now, it's the reason why my days are so relaxed now. I'm not anxious about what I have, or don't have, who I see or don't see, if I have appointments or meetings, whether everything I plan happens or nothing happens. My attitude about the day, my reflection about the day is the same. So now it's time to break it down. I've started you off by sharing my story. It's how I identify myself with a character found in popular media described as the hero. Just as the hero in every popular film takes over a story and discovers the challenge. That's what I've learned to do, and I wanna help you do the same. I wanna awaken you to that hero inside of you. I'm gonna give you five lessons, five life principles to help you remain awake to the idea that whatever is happening to you is a part of a larger narrative that has already been written
0: really hope you all enjoyed part one of the hero's journey thank you so much to chauncey McLaughlin for joining us can't wait till next week to hear part two you guys have an amazing weekend remember to dream speak and receive victory love you guys for real bye-bye